So Isaiah chapter 59 verse 19 is our text for this lesson. As I mentioned last week, probably for the next few lessons, we're going to use this verse of Scripture as our text. Isaiah 59 and verse 19 says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Well, praise God. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God has a way of dealing with the enemy. He's got a way of dealing with him. And what he does is he lifts the standard. It's a symbol that he's going to war. Well, he's going to go to war, so he raises the flag and lets the enemy know we're on our way. Well, hallelujah. Time of war is not a time to lower the standard. It's a time to lift the standard. Praise God. And so tonight we are continuing on with part two of this lesson that we've entitled The Need for Standards. The Need for Standards. This is part of our ongoing series of understanding separation. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's lift our hands and lift our voices Let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Amen. We need God's help in this place tonight. Let's pray together, Lord. Jesus, in your name, I ask you, God, for your help tonight. I ask for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. God, your word is already anointed, but I ask you to anoint your servant tonight. God, I want to be obedient to you, and I want to be sensitive to you. Would you help me, O Lord God, I pray. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's praise him together, everyone, before we're seated. Can we do that right now? Let's lift our voices to the Lord in worship and adoration to him. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Please allow me. A few moments to do some review here tonight, and I am going to do my best to be cognizant of the time and, um, and try not to keep you too late tonight. Um, but I do want to do a quick review, especially since some of the things that I said last week are pertinent to the discussion tonight. So we talked about uh, last week the fact that, again, God expects His people to be separate from the rest of the world. But, but in order for us to know that that separation exists, there must be some standard by which we can determine whether we are truly separated from the rest of the world or not. Amen. We talked about last week how it is men that we're trying to reach, and men cannot see the heart. They can only see what's on the outside. And so there ought to be a visible difference on the outside so that this world can look from a distance and know we're not like everybody else. The way that this is done is through what we have come to call holiness standards. Now, we define for you what a standard is in our lesson last week. And, and really, if you look at the definition of a standard in the dictionary, you're going to find uh, the number one definition is that it is a flag. It's an ensign or a banner. Uh, it is used as a distinctive emblem of a government, a body of men, a military unit, etc. The second definition is it's any established measure of extent, quantity, quality, or value, such as a standard of weight. A standard of measurement. Uh, then the third way that this word is used is any type, model, or example for comparison. A criterion of excellence. Such as we have, uh, we expect a certain standard of conduct. Alright, and all of those really apply when it comes to this discussion of holiness standards. 
But the word really originates from a French word that means a banner. And so anytime we think of a standard of holiness, we ought to think of it as a flag that is being flown for the world to see. It identifies who our Father is. We talked about this last week. It identifies where we are a citizen of. You're not going to see me wearing a, 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 a pin for the nation of Russia. I'm, I'm not going to go put uh, on, on my car a Mexican flag. Even as much as I love their food, I, I'm not going to fly their flag. If you, you don't love Mexican food, you really need a good praying through because I don't know what you think they're going to serve at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be some tacos, enchiladas, and burritos, I'm sure. There might be some Cajun food, too. I, I, yeah, I think, I think probably, now, i got to be honest, I doubt they'll serve any, any, any crawfish there. I, I, I just, i, I got a feeling... I'm not going to be transformed quite enough to like that. I've tried it. I don't care for it. But anyhow, be that as it may. Be that as it may. Maybe some etouffee or something that, you know, I don't know. But, but anyhow, it's, uh, I'm not going to fly the flag of another country. When I fly a flag, it's going to be a United States flag because that tells the world my citizenship. Right? And so our holiness standards, what are they doing? They're saying to the world, we are citizens of another country. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. I'm looking for a country that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's my home. So, when we think of a standard, we should think of it as a flag. I pointed out to you last week that the Israelites, when they camped around the tabernacle, uh, each tribe would have the flag of their tribe indicating who their father was that flew in the midst of that group uh, around the tabernacle. Um, we, we, we talked about how that this really is a type for us that our standards of holiness identify who our Father is to the world. Amen. It really does. We talked about the importance of standards and how they can be of great value if they're used for the right purpose. They are not so we can claim to be better than others. And believe me, I've been around plenty that holiness becomes a contest. And I'm just going to tell you that's really a misnomer because that's not holiness. When you're competing with someone else, that's not holiness. In fact, I'll tell you what it is. It's your own carnal attempt at righteousness. And that's the very thing that Isaiah was describing when he said all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Any attempt we make to be good fails. What we've got to do is have the righteousness of God. Well, hallelujah. And so we've, we've, got, to, we've got to use these standards for the right purpose, with the right spirit, with the right attitude. There, there should be a, an attitude of, of a desire for unity. We talked about this last week. I want to look like the church I belong to. You know, some years ago uh, when the Merrimans first came and, and uh, visited our church, their first Sunday here, uh, I, I think it was, he told me they'd, they'd been in Kansas City for a few weeks and, and um, they didn't know me. They didn't know where to go, um, and they visited another church. 
And he said, when they walked in, people said, oh, you must be from Brother Riggins' church. And he said, then they went and met somebody else, and they said, oh, you look like you're from Brother Riggins' church. And he said, after hearing that several times, he said, I finally looked at my wife and said, I don't know who Brother Riggin is, but that's where we belong. Well, I think that's the way it ought to be. I'm tell, I, I, I want people to know I'm a part of the truth church. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not going to hide the fact that I'm a one God apostolic Jesus name, tongue talking, holy rolling, aisle running, devil stomping. Godly dressing. Child of God. I'm not going to hide that fact. I want people to know where I'm from. And you ought to feel the same way. You ought to wear it as a badge of honor. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm really... In some ways, I think ahead of myself here, but, you know, it, it amazes me. I watch veterans sometimes. I've, I've seen them win a flag. You know, there's certain etiquette that, that needs to be shown towards our flag. And, and, and I, I, I watched one time somebody showed me this little clip of this, this veteran who, who saw a flagpole that wasn't working right. And the flag was touching the ground. And, and he got out. And, and went, didn't even know the house, but he got out and picked up that flag and fixed that flagpole. And he wasn't going to let that flag drop. He wasn't going to, he'd given too much of his life for that flag. I wish we'd get that kind of attitude toward our flag of holiness. We're not going to let it drop. We're not going to let it go to the ground. We're not going to let it go down. Other churches may despise it. They may not love it like we do. But look, I've got too much involved in this. I've got over 50 years of my life involved in this. I'm not going to let the standard drop now. I love it more now than I ever have. And you should too. Well, praise God. We are to be a light in this dark world. We talked about this last week. We're to be a light in this dark world. And a light stands out. A light draws attention. I tell you, you most of you don't, living in America, you don't really know darkness. I mean, even driving out across to I-70 and get out there where your dog could run away from home and you can watch him leave for three days. And there's not a hill, there's not a tree, there's not a shrub, just flat land. But, but even out there, there's usually light somewhere along the highway or somewhere. But you go with me to Africa and travel some of those roads at night. You want to talk darkness, there's darkness. And I can promise you somebody, somebody turns on a flashlight. Or they call it a torch. You turn on the torch and people for miles know it gets attention in the midst of the darkness. That's the way it's supposed to be. The life that you live, the way that you look, the way that you dress ought to get attention. Not to bring attention to you, but to bring attention to the righteousness with which God has clothed you. All right, all right. So we are, we closed with this last week that, that we are special ambassadors. And that means that we don't really have to say so. We don't determine what we're going to say, how we're going to look, how we're going to act. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of God and He dictates the way we dress, the way we live. Alright, so from that point, let me pick up and, and, and carry on because I, I'm not really finished talking about this, this, this whole point of a standard being a flag. Flags 
when they are designed, they are designed not just to be pretty, but they are designed to represent certain customs, certain traditions, some segment of culture for a country or a people. The flag generally will speak something about the lifestyle of those who live there. Their philosophy, their outlook on life. And, and a nation usually wants to project a good image by the flag that it designs. Its constituents want people to think of their quality form of government, their military power and authority, their disciplines, their united convictions. At least that's the way it used to be. I know I'm getting to be a dinosaur. But I'm going to keep roaring until this dinosaur dies. When you think about the United States flag, the U.S. flag, some of you may not know that they don't teach civics much anymore, unfortunately. And so many of you don't even know why the flag looks the way that it does. You don't even have an idea. In fact, why don't you help me out here, Brother Hilton? Why don't you grab that flag and bring it out here to the front where everybody can take a good look at it. And, and um, now, 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 stretch it out there, would you? I, I want you to... I want you to, to look at the United States flag for just a moment. There are 13 stripes in a U.S. flag. Do you know why there are 13? There will always be 13 stripes. Because of the 13 original colonies that made up our nation in the very beginning. So when you see the red and white alternating stripes, there are 13 of those. It reminds you of our beginnings. Then you'll notice the field of blue and the white stars. You know how many stars are there? Fifty stars. Why are there fifty stars? Because we have fifty states. And in the event that Puerto Rico gets its way, they'll add another star to the flag. That's everything about this flag is symbolic. Now, the Continental Congress that authorized that flag said that there would always be 13 stripes representing these 13 colonies. They said that the number of stars would always reflect the number of states. And then they said, here's the color pattern we want. They said that white symbolizes purity and innocence. They said red represents hardiness and valor. And blue represents vigilance, perseverance, and justice. And so that's the reason our flag looks the way it looks. Not only in the way it's designed, but in the very colors that are chosen. Everything about the flag has a meaning. Thank you. You can take it back. Unfortunately, the people are going to have to look at me for the rest of the lesson. So, But you understand that everything about it carries a symbolism. Everything about it is representative of something that the United States of America is supposed to believe in. And once did. I don't know what it believes in anymore. I, I, I just don't. Now I still believe we're the greatest nation on earth. There's no, I've been around the world. And I have yet to find any place I'd rather be. I'm never tempted to go retire in Africa. There's never a temptation there. 
Uh, I visited some of the isles of the Bahamas. I hadn't wanted to retire there. I'm not interested. I still believe, in spite of all of our flaws, at this moment, we are still the best country. We've got problems. Yes, we've got problems. We've got major problems. But still, I believe we are the best that's out there. Um, we need to understand that just as the U.S. flag is representative and symbolic, our standards of holiness are representative and symbolic. Standards, standards, that word used to strictly mean a flag, that's where it comes from etymologically. But with that idea, that connotation of a flag being an identifying object and a representation of distinction is how the idea of standards in a moral sense came into being. Standards became a term used for a model or an example that is to be followed. Purity and vigilance and justice, those are standards that we're supposed to follow as citizens. Not everybody's doing it. And those, unfortunately, many times at the head of our nation are the most guilty. And I don't want to get into politics tonight, but, but we're lacking so much in this country of what we used to be. America really was once a Christian nation. It really was. Many people don't know this, but you can find it. If you can find a history source that is still true, someone that hasn't rewritten it, the fact is the very first public schools in America were in churches. And the very first textbook ever used in public schools was the Bible. And the very first teachers in those schools were the preachers. And in spite of what anybody wants to tell you, when America was, was founded, every one of the 13 original states had a state religion. They did. And when Thomas Jefferson talked about the wall of separation between church and state, he wasn't talking about individual states. He was talking about the U.S. government. That the U.S. government should never interfere with the church. But the states were to have liberty to do whatever they wanted to do. And if they wanted a state-sponsored religion, they all had it back then. Well, I don't have time to get into all of that. But, but this is what America is supposed to stand for. And that flag represents that. And we ought to look at our holiness standards in the same way. Our holiness standards are the patterns or the criteria by which the world identifies our uniqueness and distinction as the people of God. Our holiness standards are the flags that let the world know we belong to Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, when in battle the flag identifies the soldiers of each side. And I'm going to tell you that from its inception, the church has been involved in a spiritual battle. And it's going to continue on until the trumpet sounds and gets us out of here. We are in a battle. And the way that we have got to let the world know that we are ready to do war is through the standard that we raise. When we lower the standard, we are surrendering to the enemy.
Hallelujah. You're not going to win the world by compromising holiness standards. In fact, what's happened is the battle is already lost. The world won you. You've adopted their standard. You are flying their flag. When you look like them, talk like them, act like them, go where they go, listen to what they listen to, look at what they look at. What you've done is you're flying the flag of this old world. And you're saying, I'm on their side. But God give us men and women that have got fortitude and backbone enough that we say we're going to fly the flag as high as it's ever flown. Ah, I'm telling you, I've been to Fort McHenry. If you've never been, it's a worthwhile trip. Uh, Fort McHenry is the place that Francis Scott Key wrote about when he wrote the Star-Spangled Banner. Francis Scott Key was actually on board a British ship. And he was watching them lob their shells on Fort McHenry. And, and the flag that was being flown there, the British kept demanding surrender. And the officer in charge of Fort McHenry said, I want a special flag. I want one big enough that every ship out there in the bay knows it's still flying. And so they put together this huge flag. I've seen the flag in... in the Smithsonian Institute, it's huge. They wanted a big flag. They didn't want some small little thing. They wanted the British way out there to still know we're not surrendering. We're not giving in. You're not taking us back. Well, you know, that's the problem. Some apostolics say, well, I'll fly a flag, but it's a little bitty thing. You want to be a stealth Christian. You want to hide who you are and watch you. It doesn't work that way. I'm telling you, let's get that flag just as big as we can get it. Let's make sure that the enemy knows which side we are on and that we're not backing down. We're not giving up. We're not going in reverse. We're going to stand our ground and fly this flag as, as high as we can fly it. Well, praise God. Praise God. Amen. The enemy's got to know we're not part of his regiment. Our standards are the symbols which act as a flag to tell the world upon which convictions we stand. These standards have to do with what we wear. How we wear it. Oh, you can wear the right thing in the wrong way. Well, these standards have to do with where we go, where we don't go, what we watch and what we don't watch, what we listen to, what we don't listen to, what we read and what we don't read. So I want to talk to you tonight, I've, I've got about 30 minutes, I, I want to talk to you about four things that standards represent. Four things that standards represent. First of all, they represent distinction. They represent distinction. Because as I've said, God has always maintained a separated people. Brother Hilton, read for me if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? 
Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So God has always wanted us to come out from among them and be separate. That is his mandate. And that's a New Testament mandate. It's a New Testament requirement that we be different from the rest of the world. Yes, sir. But the devil, on the other hand, wants the church to mix with the world. He wants the church to be as much like the world as it, as it can. I, I used to say when I was teaching on this subject that the world was promoting a unisex look. But it's gone way beyond that today. I just, I think yesterday, read about a biology teacher who I think was fired because he said that your gender is determined by X and Y chromosomes. That's a matter of science. In other words, he was fired. A biology teacher was fired for teaching biology. It's not just a unisex look anymore. But I tried to warn. I've been warning for years. I've been saying this for years. That this is what it was all about. God has always wanted there to be a difference between men and women. In the beginning, God created male and female. And that's all He's ever created. There's only two genders God ever created. Are you hearing me tonight? God only created two genders. The devil created the rest of them. Perverted minds came up with the rest of them. But God only recognizes two. God created them male and female. I'm telling you, I've been, I've been pastoring for 40 years. And for 40 years, I've been teaching people that the devil wants to destroy the distinction between men and women. And we're seeing it happen now. The devil doesn't like distinction at all. He doesn't want any distinction. He doesn't want there to be a distinction between men and women. And he doesn't want there to be a distinction between the church and the world. You know, I've, I've, I've had a lot of teaching that I've had to do with these, with these pastors that, that uh, God's allowed us to convert in Africa. And I've, I've asked them before, I said, don't you think it's a shame that if a woman who comes down off of your platform walks out into the street and a woman walks out of a bar out into the street and the two meet, you don't know which one's which. A woman can literally walk out of a house of prostitution and walk off of your platform and you can't tell the difference between the two. Something's wrong here. Thank God for godly women. We'll, we'll, get, into, we'll get into specifics in later lessons. I'm trying to just deal with principles right now. But standards represent a distinction, a separation. Standards help to distinguish us from the world. 
both in our manner of dress and in codes of conduct, the church is to be different from the world. And that distinction, that difference is pleasing to God. To God, our beauty is not in physical features, but it's in the spirit and character of the inner man. Read for me Psalm 149 verse 4. Psalm 149 verse 4. For the Lord taketh pleasure the in Lord his people. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will and beautify, he will beautify the meek with the salvation. Meek with salvation. God, it's not the size of your nose, the shape of your chin. It's not whether your midriff curves in or out that matters to God. That's not what he's looking at. The beauty that God sees is the salvation he grants us. And that separation that comes as a result of it. How beautiful it is to have the spirit of God radiating from our lives. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll get into specifics. Like I said, I'll get into specifics in weeks to come. I don't have time to get sidetracked with all of that tonight. But it's amazing when people say, well, I have to have this to prove I'm married. My wife and I have been married now for 43 years. And do you know there's never been a time that anybody ever tried to make a, a pass at her? Not because of some ornament she had on, but because of the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Because she lived her life in such a way they could tell she was married. She wasn't flirtatious. She didn't dress in an alluring way. Well, I'm getting into more specifics than I intended. But, but, but listen to me. We need to understand that there is a beauty in living a godly lifestyle. In dressing in a godly way. Standards represent distinction. Number two, standards represent warfare. They represent warfare. They are set up as a declaration of war. They are our military ensigns or flags. So let's, let's look at our text again. Isaiah 59, 19. Read that for me again. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west uh -huh. and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And so, so look at this. When the enemy is coming in against us as a flood, he's coming with a flood of immorality. He's coming with a flood of humanism. He's coming with a flood of perversion. He's coming at us with a flood of divorce and abortion. He's coming at us with all kinds of things. We don't just sit idle and passive, but we lift a standard. We let the world know we are going to war. We're going to go to war against perversion. We're going to war against immorality. We're going to war against immorality. We're going to war against immodesty. We're going to war against worldliness. That's what our standards are doing. We're making a declaration of war. And when the world of sin becomes darker, all that that does is makes the light of truth become more obvious. There will always be a people that will stand for righteousness in the face of adversity. They're not going to be afraid to raise high the standard of the church. 
I could spend time tonight talking about the many examples of individuals who were banners of truth and righteousness in their own life. Men like Joshua and Caleb when they stood before an entire camp of Israelites. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know who they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like their Hebrew names because their Hebrew names glorify the God of Israel. Most of us know them by their Babylonian names which glorify the gods of Babylon. We call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but those are Babylonian names that glorify Babylonian gods. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are names that glorify Jehovah God. But what what a, what a flag, what a standard they were for all. We were talking about this the other night, uh, last night in, in our class. You know, they were not the only Jews that were there when that, when that idol was standing up and the music began to play. But they were the only Jews that stood. Some of them, some of them perhaps looked down and said, Oh, my sandal needs to be laced right now. I'm not bowing, you understand. I'm just, I'm just latching my sandal. That's all I'm doing. I'm not bowing. to. And they excused what they did. But to everyone else, it sure looked like they were bowing. That's why the Bible says, shun the very appearance of evil. What a banner they were. What a banner it was when David stood alone before Goliath and all of the trained warriors were scared and hiding. What a banner Noah was when he stood alone by his ark and the rest of the world rejected and mocked him. What a banner Abraham was when he stood alone with his promise, left the land of Ur of the Chaldees and his family that was serving multiple gods, but he stood for the one true God of heaven. What a banner Joseph was when he stood alone with his dream. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. We ought to be banners of truth waving high before this world. So standards represent warfare. Going to war against the ways of the world. Number three, standards represent quality. They represent quality. The church is a spectacle to the world. You know, in a lot of ways, life is like a theater stage. And we're only going to pass across once. And we as Christians are on display. And so we need to show the quality of life that God has made available for everyone. If for no other reason, we ought to display high standards to reveal the value of God's work in us. When you know something is a value, you take care of it if it's a value to you. You ever give somebody an expensive gift and then go back later and find out they just trashed it or left it laying out in the yard? You know why they do that? They don't value it like you did. When you value it, you protect it. I heard, I listened to a preacher talk about it. He said, you know, he said, I hear people saying all the time, but we live in such a wicked world, we have to lock our doors now. I remember when I was growing up, he said that we didn't lock our doors. You know, there was no need to keep the windows closed. They were up all night. He said, I used to talk about that, but he said, one day I got a revelation. And I realized the reason Daddy didn't lock the doors and didn't close the windows is because we didn't have anything of value in the house. There was nothing there that anybody wanted to steal. But now we've got items of value. And so we lock our doors because we value the contents. When you just trash things and you throw them away and you don't pay attention to them, it's because you don't value those things. I talked about that veteran finding that flag falling to the ground and going and doing something about it. You know why the owner of the house didn't do anything? Because the flag didn't mean that much to the owner of the house. But it meant something to that veteran. 
And I'm telling you the same thing is true with our holiness standards. What we're saying to the world is that something very valuable is on the inside of us. And we're not going to trash it. We're not just putting it out there for the whole world to see. We're going to protect it in every way we can. And these holiness standards show that there is a quality to our life. It's not like everybody else's life. We're not better than anybody else. But what we've got is better than what anybody else can offer. Not because of us, but because God's the one that put it there. Is anybody understanding what I'm telling you? That's why we have standards of holiness. Because God has given us something of the highest quality. And it needs to be protected. Romans 8.15. Read for me. Read for me. i got to hurry here. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Uh-huh. But ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. Amen. We've not received the spirit of bondage to fear. Listen, this is what I'm trying to tell you. God valued you. God chose you. God picked you out of millions who don't know the truth, who have never heard the truth. God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you ought to understand that. And you ought to appreciate that. And you ought to value that. And the way you show the world, I value what God has done for me is by the standard of holiness that you adopt in your life. I've got to hurry. I've got to hurry. First uh, Peter two and nine says this: "But you are a chosen generation, a royal, a royal priesthood, priesthood and a holy nation, a peculiar people, people that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out, you out of darkness into His. Into his that you now wait. That you should do what? That you should do what?" Show, show, show. You ought to show your thankfulness to this world. They ought to be able to see it. Why people would want to follow the fads and fashions of Hollywood, I'll never understand. Why they want to let the models in Paris Determine how they're going to dress. I'll never understand. And I'm going to tell you something. If some limp-wristed fashion designer has more impact on how you dress than your pastor does, there's a problem, my friend. There's something seriously wrong with your spirit. Help me, Jesus. Obviously, I'm feeling good tonight. God's adopted us into his royal family. I read a story some time ago about a young princess um, that was being directed. Uh, you know, she had, uh, they called them nurses, nursemaids that, that would watch over them, that would teach them, that would train them. And, and this, this nursemaid was trying to give strict disciplinary um, directives to this young princess. And, and the little girl looked up at her and said, I don't have to do that. And the nursemaid said, why not? She said, because I am a princess. And the nursemaid said, that's exactly why you must do it. There's something more expected out of you as a princess. Hey, we're children of the king. There is a higher standard expected of us. You want to know why we've got to have all these disciplinary measures? You want to know why? No, it's not legalism. But it's because we're children of the king. And we want the world to know we appreciate what he's done in our lives. We are a part of the royal family. We don't look just any way. We don't act just any way. We don't dress just any way. We don't talk just any way. We have royal blood in our veins.
we should gladly bear the standard of the royal family. And in that way, we allow the world to not only see our distinction and separation, but the high quality of life that God, our Father, has given to us. Everything that God does in our lives is for our good. It's, it's not all good, but it's for our good. You understand the difference? I, I, I like pepper on my food, but I don't pick up the pepper shaker, take the lid off, and dump it in my throat. If pepper is used in the right proportion, it adds flavor. And God knows how to give you just enough of the, of, the, of the rough times in life. But they blend in with everything else that he's doing for you. And we get so focused on the problem. So focused on, on, on the difficulty. So focused on the bad. But listen, when it comes to living for God, really there's nothing that is bad. It's working for good. It may be a little peppery. But God's going to balance it out in the long run. Say, man, this was really tough. This is really tough. Well, then hang on for something that's really great. Because God's going to balance out the bad time with something a whole lot better. I'm talking to somebody here tonight. I'm talking to somebody here tonight. You need to understand that what's going on in your life, God's got it all worked out already. Read it. We know it, but read it. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know that all things all work things, together. All things, all things, all things, all things. Come on, somebody. All things. All things. Work together for good to them yeah. that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Yes. For whom he did foreknow. Whom he did foreknow. He, also did, he also did predestinate. To be conformed, to, be conformed to, the to the image of his son. And that he might be the firstborn among Do many Do you brothers. understand that God is working everything for your good. And to cause you to bear the image of the son. That's what he's doing. He's trying to knock the rough edges off of your life. He's trying to get rid of the things that don't look like his son in your life. So he can make you more like him. Oh, hallelujah. Well, you think, I'll, I'll get it done, I'll get it done. I'm, I'm close, I'm close. I'm close. I'm, I'm, I'll get it done. I may go a few minutes over, but I'll get it done. Just bear with me. In fact, I think I've only got one more verse of Scripture. So, so uh, I'll get it done tonight. But, but listen, do you think Jesus walked around with his robe open to his belly button? I don't. You think you think he went around in a in a wife beater, showing his underarms to everybody? I don't. I just I'm sorry I don't. You think he walked around in hot pink tight shorts? You know God's trying to get us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That doesn't mean we wear the exact same thing he wore. But we have the spirit that directed what he wore. Well, hallelujah. All right, I got I to gotta, I gotta hurry here. So God desires to see the highest quality produced in our lives. And that standard of quality is apparent in our life and our character. By the standards which we uphold. So, that's the third thing. 
is that standards represent quality. And number four, standards represent a united effort. A united effort. Psalm 133 verse 1 says this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Yeah. Um, stand up, Brother Hall. Why you got that shirt on tonight? Why, why are you supposed to wear it? It represents the company you work for. They have a uniform. You're not the only one that's worn that uniform here. We've got several folks that have shown up in uniform just like that right here. Now, wh why do you think it, it, it's got this little label over here by his pocket? And, and, and what's that say on there? Postal service. So you see, there's, thank you, there, there's, there's, what, what, the reason why they do that is so that everybody knows when they see someone that's wearing that uniform that this person works for the post office. Right? It shows a united effort. I'm united with the others who are a part of this same corporation. When you see a policeman or a fireman, if they're on duty, they all dress the same. You know who they are. You know what their job is. You identify them. Standards represent a unified effort. So the world can look and know, hey, that's a one God apostolic right there. They don't look like everybody else. I've told you about right here in town. Uh, we went to a, uh, I think it was a Christmas concert. And um, after it was all over with, there were, there were probably close to 3,000 people there. And after it was all over with, my wife and I were walking through the foyer and the, the artist the singer, uh, was standing there and he saw us and he spoke to us and he said, he didn't use these exact words, but, but he, was, he said, you guys are apostolic, aren't you? And I'd smiled. I said, how'd you guess? And he smiled. He said, you just have that look about you. Now look, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. But I can promise you, out of those 3,000 people, he didn't stop anybody and say, you're Baptist, aren't you? I can promise you, he didn't stop anybody and say, you're charismatic, aren't you? You think I'm embarrassed? I'm not embarrassed about I'm glad they know who I am. I'm glad they know who I am. I'm glad they know I'm a part of this body. I'm glad that I can link arms. I'm glad that I can join hands with the people of this assembly and let everybody know we're working together. We've got one mind. We've got one purpose. We're all headed the same direction. We're all working towards the same goal. I'm glad that I can do this. I don't do this because I'm in bondage. I don't do this because it's legalism. I do it because I love him and I love my brothers and sisters. And I want to look like part of the family. We're united together in what we do. Hallelujah. We cannot have a united effort if there's not some kind of disciplinary direction, order, authority. Those things are necessary. Musicians come. I'm trying to wrap this up. 902, I've done pretty good. If I do say so myself, praise God. I mean at keeping time. I don't mean as far as my delivery. I mean just at keeping the time. Um, this is a day in which 
the overwhelming majority, even of those that call themselves Christians, do what is right in their own eyes. Many claim to be Christians, but they're dishonest. They're lawbreakers. They're rebellious. They're immoral. I'm going to tell you, when we see it, we shouldn't just sit around and criticize them. But something ought to rise up in us that says, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to stand up and show the standard of right direction, of proper order. We have got to produce the fruit of a disciplined life and allow the adhesiveness of authority to unify us in our stand for what is right. And, and, and I'm just being honest with you. The only way we can really have a unified effort is if we're willing to submit to the authority God puts over us. That's, that's the only way we can really be unified. Now, I've, I, I preached this in a church one time. I said, you know, I can preach on unity and everybody in the church will amen me. Everybody in the church believes we need to have unity. But the problem is, a lot of people in the church think everybody ought to unify around them. And as long as everybody thinks that, they, that everybody else ought to unify around them, there is no unity. There's chaos. So there's got to be one individual that everybody unifies around. That's just logic. That's just common sense. Somebody's got to establish the standard. Somebody's got to set the pace. Bible teaches submission to parents in Ephesians chapter 6. Hello? Teaches submission to parents. The Bible teaches submission to employers. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 5 to 8 in case you wonder. The Bible teaches submission to the government in Romans chapter 13. The Bible teaches submission to church leaders in Hebrews chapter 13. Now, let me just say this. Parents, employers, government, spouses. In fact, the Bible teaches we submit to one another. But let me tell you, in all of that, there is always the higher law, and that's submission to God. Even when it comes to pastors, pastors don't have the authority to teach you to do something that's contrary to what God says. So that's why, yes, the Bible says women ought to obey their husbands. But if the husband's saying, you don't go to church, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and all of it violates the Bible, she doesn't obey that. Because the husband doesn't have authority to violate his authority. And his authority is God. And he can't make you violate the one that's over him. That makes sense? Same thing's true of a pastor. I can't just get up here and tell you you can do something that the Bible says you can't. Or tell you not to do something that the Bible says you should. I don't have that authority. And if I ever do it, you're obligated to do what God said, not what I said. God honors obedience. God takes stern action against rebellion. And God used these things. You can go back to 1 Samuel 15. You can go to Numbers 16. Um, God uses these things to reveal to us His standard of submission to authority. And the purpose of submission is to keep the united work of the church operating properly. That's what it's all about. It's not about elevating a man. It's about keeping the work of God going the way it needs to go. Well, play something to wrap this thing up. I've gone seven minutes over. 
In our next lesson, Lord willing, I intend to talk to you about how we set standards. We'll get through that, and then at some point after that, we'll, we'll start talking about what standards are set for this assembly. And, and we'll go through those things. But, but I want you to understand. I want you to have a full understanding, number one, of the need for standards, why we even need them. And then number two, how do we arrive at them? Is it just, well, whatever I think is good, then that's going to be the standard? No, there, there are certain guidelines that the Scripture gives us of how we set standards. And we're going to look at those things and understand them in the weeks to come. Praise God. Let's stand. Let's lift our hands to the Lord.